Welcome to Geek This. My name is Dave Clements, and this is a podcast dedicated to geek pop culture, comic books, TV shows, films, and the worlds around them. In this episode, I'm going to begin part one of two about Stephen King's It. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last few months, you may have heard about the new It movie coming out. Um, When I found out that Hollywood was remaking the movie, I began a journey through each iteration of this novel, um, starting with the source material, and then I moved on chronologically. And so for that reason, this episode may run a little bit longer than most, because I'm going to dive into the book. In the next episode, I'll go ahead and discuss the two film projects that are based on this book. Just, I want to give some groundwork here. It's good to know the source material. And if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, you can go to geekthispodcast.com slash six nine. I debated long and hard before reading this book. I openly questioned on social media and talked to friends and family as to whether or not I should read the book and if I was going to read the book if I should wait until I saw either of the movies and I didn't really come to a good conclusion I had mixed suggestions from all of my friends and family and in the end I decided to go to Audible and download the audiobook since I knew that reading a physical copy would make it would take an eternity for me to finish. The audiobook ended up running 44 hours and 57 minutes long. And it took me about three weeks total to finish reading the book or to listen to the book. I consider it reading because I've digested it. It's in my brain. I just didn't use my eyeballs to consume it. I use my ears. So don't argue with me about whether audiobooks are are considered reading or not. Um, Now, this was my first Stephen King novel, and man, it was a trip, for sure. If you're unfamiliar with anything that has to do with it, other than maybe the little bit that you've seen in a trailer recently, or maybe you or your parents or somebody that you know watched the movie, um, the 1990 movie when it came out, Um, I'll go ahead and try and sum this up for you as best as possible, um, just so that it makes sense, I guess. So, in this book, there are children that are being murdered in Derry, Maine, and one particular incident involving a little boy named Georgie, um, brings these seven friends together to find and defeat this evil that's plaguing their town in in this form of Pennywise the Dancing Clown, who is iconic now. Um, they They end up being called back 27 years later to do it all again when more murders happen because they realized that the first time they went after this monster or whatever it was, they didn't finish the job. 
Now, listening to a book that is um, just a couple minutes shy of 45 hours long takes its toll, <laughs> especially when you break it up with podcasts or other books. Um, but with that said, it is a very interesting book that kept me coming back for more. I, I wanted to keep listening to it. I didn't want to stop. And um, I just I want to talk to you about what I liked and disliked about it. And I'm going to try to do my best to be clear, assuming that you're new to the story. I don't I don't want to confuse you. It's confusing enough without me getting involved. So I have mixed feelings over the way that Stephen King wrote the book. Um, it take it takes place in two different timelines that interweave to create a complete story. You have 1958 when Bill Denbro and his friends, also known as the Losers Club, are kids, and 1985 when they've grown up and have to return to Derry to fight the evil again, or fight it. Um, writing this way is good at times, but other times it is really, really hard to follow. Um, and he doesn't just we interweave um, these timelines throughout the book, but he does it when he transitions between chapters. A chapter will end mid-sentence, and then the next chapter will finish it. And sometimes it will be in a different uh, time period, whether it's you know, maybe it'll start on 1958 and then it, the next chapter starts in 1985, but they're finishing each other's sentences, essentially. Um, from what I've read in other reviews, this is, I guess, a way to draw each era together. Um, there have been other readers that have seen or somehow understand that the weaving begins very broad and then it narrows toward the end. And I think it's clever for sure. And I, yeah, it's, it's clever, but I think it works better when you're actually reading the book or watching a movie than it does when you're listening to it. It, it confused me a lot. So the, the audio book kind of hindered my experience a little bit. Now, um, meeting the losers club takes a little while because of the writing scheme. Um, some of the characters stood out a little more than others, but all in all, um, Bill, Ben, Richie, Bev, Mike, Eddie, and Stan, they're all fairly likable characters, and they are the main characters in this book. The main problem with them was that Eddie and Stan very well could have been written as one character, and I think that Stephen King knew this, when he was writing their adult return since he, and this is a spoiler, killed Stan off as a suicide. Um, and this is important that he did this to me personally, because um, as I'm sure you, you know, characters can make or break a story. And in it, the characters hold the plot line pretty well. So this change had to happen. And I think it happened because he was writing this over a course of years. Um, at the very end of the book, it says exactly when the book was started and when it ended, um, as far as his writing goes. So 
um, I think it was interesting for him to realize, okay, well, a couple of these characters are similar, so let's kill one off um, as an adult so we don't have to worry about him and then find an excuse for, you know, why he's gone and not part of the Losers Club as an adult. Um, in the marketing for the new film, as well as the original two-part movie, Pennywise is main focus. I mean, he's on the box art for the the Tim Curry films, and he's, you know, uh, he's... I mean, he's all over the place right now on YouTube, social media, especially for me because I follow all of this stuff. So I see a lot of Pennywise the Clown. Um, the book, however, um, it isn't so much the case. He pops up occasionally, and yeah, every member of the Losers Club sees um, the clown eventually, and he is the primary villain. He is it, but he isn't the only version of it. Um, it's kind of cool that in the book, it, and I I keep saying it because I don't want you to get confused. I mean, Pennywise is it, but it is the overall evil. Um, it takes different forms. It's a shape changer essentially. Um, but it's, it's kind of cool. Ben sees a mummy, uh, Eddie sees a werewolf and Stan sees a giant bird and, uh, it's it's kind of cool that that's the way it was done uh and i don't i don't really want to get into what the movies show it as because that's that's for the next episode um one of the big issues with the book as i think about it is the social issues that are brought up uh because they're very dated um when they when they are kids it takes place in 1958 which was um obviously a time that i was not alive this is the time even before my own parents were alive and it was a totally different atmosphere in the 50s so the in the book there are some now objectionable things but they're used to set the tone so there is the use of the F word for gay people, the N word for black people, and they were used derogatory within the book to kind of give a setting. And I'm not condoning the use of them. I hate both of those words. Um, I hate that anybody would use those words at all. I don't care what the reason is for. There's no reason to use those words, but it, I have to be honest, it did give some realism to the era that Stephen King was writing for, mainly in the 50s. Um, I do think um, there is another character who's kind of a another baddie who was a bully um, when the kids were younger. Um, he comes back in the 80s, and he does use those words, but I think it's to reminisce or bring back how the characters felt in the 50s. Um, I'm not trying to make excuses for it. I mean, you look at it from a 2017 standpoint, and this is pretty vulgar, and it is way overused. I mean, I've I've heard the N-word, just listening to the book, hundreds of times 
And that is not an exaggeration. If I had a physical copy, I would go in and find how many times I'd heard that word. And it bothers me a lot, but it is what it is. I have listened to it. I'm just trying to give you some heads up just in case you decide to read the book yourself. I don't want you to be surprised. Um, Speaking of heads up, um, you may have heard about that scene from the end of the book. It's kind of been circling around. If you're interested in the book at all and you've never read it and you maybe only watched the the two movies. um, Well, I didn't originally want to talk about this. And I was writing show notes. I was like, it has to be addressed because I don't want you going in blind. And I couldn't find a, a more elegant way to talk about this particular scene. So I went ahead and I did some research, read a few articles and, um, here, here's a section from, uh, the great people over at Den of Geek. I, I really enjoy their blog. Um, but I think they did an excellent job of explaining what the scene was and, um, well, let me go ahead and read it to you. All right. So this is from Den of Geek. This is not from me personally, but it helps explain what the scene was because again, you need to know this going in. So here we go. With it defeated, the kids find themselves lost in the sewers and possibly unable to escape. They need to bond together again after the monster's savage attacks. So 11-year-old Beverly decides that each of the six boys must make love to her right there in the tunnel to form an emotional and physical connection that will remain unbroken. King writes this sequence with as much care, grace, and sensitivity as he can, but it's still essentially group sex involving six barely pubescent boys and a girl. Um, yeah, it's shocking, and it comes in such a shocking way, because the the kids, the Losers Club, they've, they've fought. They've fought each other, and, you know, basically it's... It's kind of a, this is what he wants. He wants to break us apart kind of thing. And Beverly decides to do this. Bev decides to do this. And it was shocking. I will be totally honest with you there. And so I did some more digging because I'm trying to research these episodes a little bit more. And I was like, well, what does Stephen King have to say for himself? Um, Because, you know, I mean, it's been 30 years since this book has come out, so we should probably, in my opinion, maybe we need to George Lucas this thing and change the book a little bit. I don't know. But here is what Stephen King said about this scene. I wasn't really thinking of the sexual aspect of it. The book dealt with childhood and adulthood, 1958 and grown-ups. The grown-ups don't remember their childhood. None of us remember what we did as children. We think we do, but we don't remember it as it really happened. Intuitively, the losers knew that they had to be together again. The sexual act connected childhood and adulthood. It's another version of the glass tunnel that connects the children's library and, and the adult library. Times have changed since I wrote that scene, and there is now more sensitivity to those issues. Now, he's talking about this glass tunnel in the book that connects the library and um I don't know I think maybe that's a little bit of a stretch and it was something that I didn't pick up on uh but 
yeah, that's his explanation of it, that he wasn't focused on the sexual aspect of it. And um, I just want to forewarn you, having watched the movies, it is not in either movie. Thank God. I don't, I don't think it's going to be in the, the, the sequel to the new movie. Um, I, I really hope not. But again, I wanted to let you guys know about this part. Let's go ahead and move on to something, something else. All right. So at the end of the book, um, if you're familiar with Stephen King, and I'm only slightly familiar, there starts to get this supernatural aspect, something crazy, fantastical that happens in every book, or at least that's what I've been told. Um, so it's at the end of the book that all the supernaturalism comes to the forefront. Now, it's been sprinkled throughout the entire book, specifically when um, it changes shapes. So the mummy, the werewolf, the bird, the clown, all of that stuff. Um, but in the book, I'm going to call him 1958 Bill, um, he fights it and gets thrown into some kind of multiverse where he meets the turtle, a godlike being who created everything. And um, I guess this character is known as Maturin or Maturin. And he apparently plays a larger role in the Dark Tower series, which is also written by Stephen King. And I don't know anything about that. But again, research found this out and I find it interesting. And now I want to go read the Dark Tower. So that may be in a future episode. Um, but yeah, this this whole supernatural scene uh is possibly the worst and most jarring part of the entire book you have this battle going on this you know this boss battle going on with um with a with this evil creature and he gets thrown into this multiverse and it's just so off-putting it just it, like you're in the middle of a battle and then boom, nothing like everything calms down and it just felt out of place. And, um, I was kind of boring and, and it was a little bit too much exposition. Like this is where the book really started to fall apart. And this actually takes place before the previous scene that I just talked about. Um, so I kind of want to wrap this up um, because I'm just trying to highlight my thoughts on so many different things that have, I mean, it's a long book and it's really easy to fry your brain. So um, yeah, I, I kind of want to wrap this up for you. Um, in the end, the book isn't so much a horror novel for me. It's, it's haunting in a way though, because when you think back and you think of the different messages that are in this book, there's this undercurrent of an idea that childhood is gobbled up without anybody really noticing. Um, in this case, in the book, the town of Derry realizes that kids are missing, but they don't do anything to find out. And, and there's one specific scene that really showcases that the adults in the town don't see what's going on. And, um, it's a fantastic scene in in the newest movie, but Bev Beverly is in her bathroom 
by herself and um, kind of skip through the scene here a little bit. Basically, the entire bathroom becomes covered head to toe in blood and she's screaming and crying and her dad walks in and he goes, what's going on in here? Why are you screaming and crying? And she realizes that he doesn't see what she sees, that that this evil only plays on the child. And I think that's fascinating to me. I think that was one of the best parts of this movie is, is understanding that childhood doesn't last long and it's gone before you realize it. And that's what really stands out to me. Um, so it isn't, you know, you know, our childhood isn't taken by an evil clown. Um, but as we get older, we have fleeting images of what it was like to be a kid. And it's hard to recall even the best times that we had. And you see that after the battle, um, they, they start to forget things. And, uh, I mean, it just shows that being an adult, I mean, they jumped 27 years into the future. Um, but being an adult is dark and it is hard sometimes. And, and I think the best thing to do is what they did in this book, which was to push fear aside and beat the crap out of it to tackle it. Um, and I think that that's an amazing message that, um, may or may not have gotten, um, lost and I'm glad I found it. I, I've done so much thinking about this book since reading it and seeing the movies that I actually have. It's, it's cool that I figured this out. Um, but as I, as I shut this down, I want to make sure, and I want to clarify that you understand that this book isn't for everyone. Um, it is absolutely a hard R rating, Um, and it floors me that there were people out there who read this at the age of 12. Um, I don't recommend it to that age group at all, even though I do recommend the book. Um, and as I've mentioned, there are quite a few bristling moments between the strong language, the sexual content and that scene and you need to be wary of it. And I, I've done an episode on ratings, but go in with your better judgment. I honestly, I didn't know that some of this stuff existed because I've never read Stephen King before. So it was a surprise to me. Um, but it's still a good book in the grand scheme of things. So again, I do recommend it, but please use caution. Um, I really only suggest this book to 18 years and older and maybe even 21 years and older just be smart do your research um because there are a lot of things that can be very 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 uncomfortable in this book um so yeah i mean that's that's my take on it i wanted to highlight some of the most interesting parts in the book because it's so hard to distill 45 hours down into a half hour podcast episode. Um, especially when I'm doing it by myself, it'd be better maybe if there was a discussion going on and we could throw things back and forth, but, um, that's not the way this one worked. So yeah, um, that's gonna do it. Um, I, I really hope that you're enjoying, um, 
these episodes. I'm really trying to put more effort into making them better for you to listen to, and I hope they're not boring. So um, if you want, um, again, as I shut this down, um, you can go to geekthispodcast.com slash six nine and you'll find the show notes for this episode and you can also leave a comment here. You can check us out on Facebook um, and just find all of our social things at geekthispodcast.com slash social. Um, that's just the best way to get in touch with us. You know, that shows um, my personal Twitter at Mr. Dave Clements um, shows our Facebook page and just anywhere else that you could find really any of the hosts of the podcast so um, yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode and as always thank you so much for listening and uh, yeah come back next week where i'm going to talk about the movies and compare them that's going to be my favorite thing to do is compare the old movie with the new movie and um, please leave some feedback and, and let me know what you thought all right that's going to do it for this episode again thank you for listening and i will talk to you next time